Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Final Report. This is Fletcher Long, and I have with me Heather Cohen and Tracy Ellis, where we go through cases of interest and try to arrive at suspects, perhaps answers, perhaps even solve the case. Thank you so much for joining us today, and today we'll be discussing what's known as the Bourbon Trail murders or the Bardstown murders. Uh, Heather, what do you got? Well, we've got Jason Ellis, Kathy and Samantha Netherland, which is a mother and daughter, and then Crystal Rogers, and lastly, Crystal Rogers' dad, Tommy Ballard. And uh, Fletcher, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Jason Ellis? Well, Ellis is pretty interesting in that he was a police officer who was out on shift and was headed home. Now, when he had talked to a friend of his earlier in the evening, he was headed back to the station to fill out reports, and that guy was going out on patrol. But anyway, Ellis is going home, and he gets off a ramp off of the Bluegrass Parkway where he finds something blocking the road that looked like it had been stacked there for the purpose of him uh, uh, encountering it. Uh, the police believe this was staged, which is going to be interesting because that means that they were, whomever it was that did this, was aware of Ellis's movements on the night in question while out on patrol and was aware that he was headed home, probably was monitoring the police radio in order to, to know this, but knew, knew what he, whoever it was had enough inside juice with the police department to know what uh, Ellis's um, movements would be on that night because they were able to block the, the, the off-ramp uh, with some lumber and that required Ellis to either get out of the car to move it or to get out of the car to investigate. He was shot seven times, I believe, with a 12-gauge shotgun um, and was found dead. And uh, one of his friends uh, that encountered him with him dead was another police officer named Michael Medley. Uh, the interesting thing about the Ellis case to me is that a guy said that he did it. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty interesting to me. Brant Shekels uh, was running... Um, something called or rumored to be called the Bardstown Money Gang. It's not usually not a good thing unless the name of the entity is our gang. It's usually not a good thing to have gang anywhere in the entity, but in the name of the organization. But it's called Bardstown Money Gang. And Shekels said that he killed uh, the police officer and his father was the mayor of the town of Bardstown at the time. His name was Bill Shekels. And the chief at the time, Rick McCubbin, dismissed this as the rantings of a bunch of punks trying to gain street cred by claiming to be so bad that they could kill a cop. So, of course, when you're talking about this area of Kentucky, you're talking about the old stomping grounds of an entity, an organized criminal organization that I don't know is still around, it may be, called the Cornbread Mafia. Now, some of you, uh, Tracy, you and Heather, some of you listeners, you may recall the Cornbread Mafia was a very large organization busted for the largest marijuana ring production poundage um, in the history of the country. It was run by a guy 
named Johnny Boone, who some of you, he was kind of like the head of the head of it. He was, um, he was the ringleader of a marijuana operation that spanned about 11 states. You may recall that he was also the subject of a segment of America's Most Wanted after he had been on the year, on the run. He'd been on the lam for like eight years. He ended up getting arrested in a small town outside of Montreal uh, by the United States Marshal Service who had tracked him there. So he was brought uh, to the United States in April of 2017. He pled guilty to one count. Uh, of a superseding information and, and, you know, went to jail, I think, for a long time. I don't know if he's in or out at the time because this, this would have been the late 80s or early 90s. But the Cornbread Mafia was a group uh, who had the largest domestic marijuana production operation in United States history. Now, I bring all that up to say that this killing of Ellis appeared like a mafia hit. Anyway, I bring up the Cornbread Mafia not because I have any knowledge that they're still around. I would suspect they are. But I bring it up because the killing of Ellis would require mafia-like planning with mafia-like inside connections. That's why I bring it up. Could be this Bardstown money gang. Could be Brant Shekels. Could be. Very, they're very similar in structure. Uh, the Dixie Mafia, they're not the very same thing. I mean, the, the Dixie Mafia would have predated the Cornbread Mafia. The Cornbread Mafia was literally um, a bunch of people. They ended up arresting like 20 men, uh, and they called them the Cornbread Mafia so they could prosecute them under the RICO statute. Uh, that So they wanted to invoke the fact that they were a criminal outfit because, you know, of course, the RICO is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, so they wanted to prosecute them under RICO where they could uh, uh, get the people that didn't that weren't actually in possession of the drugs or dealing the drugs. You know, that RICO was in, envisioned to help them get the mafia boss and not necessarily the soldier. If I can interject just for a moment, um, I actually have a source whose son was in the money gang. And she said they were a bunch of kids running around trying to be badasses. She said they didn't have a car between the, I think one of them borrowed a car one time and they didn't, um, they did not have, like you're saying, the organization or the resources for this type of, of killing and that they are all grown and they're all doing, I think not all of them, but, Many of them are doing well. They were just trying to be, they were just little wiseacres. I have a question for you, Fletcher. What about the Iron Horse gang? The Iron Horseman Motorcycle Club, they're, they're, they're one percenters. They were, uh, they were founded in Cincinnati, Ohio in the mid-60s. So, yeah, that, that would be a club that would service that area of Kentucky. You know what that one percenter comes from? No, what? Well, I'll I'll take. I interviewed George Christie and Heather. If you ever listened to that interview, you would know from the interview. You may know independently, but there was an article in Rolling Stone magazine where the guy interviewed was talking about the Hell's Angels and other outlaw motorcycle clubs, and he said, "You know, it's it's the one percent to make the rest of us look bad." (laughs) It was, and so that's why they started calling them the one percenters.
Uh, but they have an Iron Horseman lit chapter listed in Kentucky. They have chapters in California, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee. People always say, you know, follow the money. And a lot of people think that uh, some of these people killed, if not all of them, were killed for the reason because uh, were killed because they know something they're not supposed to know and they were a threat. And my gut tells me that that something has to do with drugs. And it makes sense, especially with Jason Ellis, because Jason Ellis was, uh, from what I understand, he canine. was, yeah, he was, he was canine. He was a drug task force. Well, well, I want you, I want you to look at this, Heather, as an investigator and think the amount of planning it would take and the amount of reconnaissance that you would have to undertake to know the route that he drives on patrol, how he goes home, where he exits. I don't think that would be very hard, especially for somebody who was working the same shift as him. But it takes some. You know, it's not something, it's not a random act of violence is what I'm trying to say. Oh, no. You know, I mean, he, no. it, it, he you know, he comes off this exit. This exit's already blocked. And right. he, it's blocked sufficiently that he has to exit the vehicle, which is something on which they were obviously planning. And, right. you know, so, I mean, it takes some reconnaissance. It may not take, you know, it may not take some military super A-team, but it takes some. It's It's just not something that happens as a random... And there's not a lot of people that go around killing cops randomly either. No. For, no. For, for you to kill a police officer, you think that you've got all your bases covered. I mean, you're going to have to be somebody like an iron horseman. Right. Jason Ellis, I want to I point out the date of his murder. Um, it was on May 25th, 2013. And then on April 22nd, 2014, so... Uh, a year and a month later, um, Kathy Netherland and her daughter, Samantha, were found. And Tracy, do you want to tell us about that one? Kathy had missed uh, work. And it seems her father went over to check up on her. And he found them deceased, both Kathy and her younger daughter, Samantha. Uh, then the Kentucky Highway Patrol officer came in. There have been many theories on what happened. Kathy was shot several times, and Samantha was bludgeoned. Both had their throats slit. Um, that tells me, okay, something's going on here with the throat, the slitting of the throat, because obviously I would think that um, being bludgeoned and the mm -hmm. shooting would, would be enough. And... There have been rumors that it has been brought back to a gang that was uh, trying to get an initiation. There have been rumors that somebody at school was mad at the younger daughter, uh, Samantha, who was around 16, and killed her because she rejected them. There have been rumors, Kathy Netherland was 48, and her husband died in July 2013. Robert Netherland left life insurance. And the oldest daughter, whose name is Holly, 
was also rumored to have set all this up so that she could get her hands on the money. But you see, a lot of the things that you're saying lead me to wonder if this Shekels kid isn't involved in this to some extent, maybe as a patsy or something. The fact that they don't want any outside eyes involved in this investigation, they hadn't asked for any help. And their investigation's gone nowhere. And this is a police officer who was killed in the line of duty and had a thousand people at his funeral. And they did catch a black Impala on surveillance cameras that they, to this day, they haven't been able to identify who the driver of that black Impala was. But they do feel that that black Impala was connected to um, their murder. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting about the Netherland murder is that the Netherland family has put up a $50,000 reward for information uh, leading to the killers. And despite what would be a life-changing amount of money for most people in, in an area like Bardstown, uh, in spite of that incentive, they still aren't any closer to solving it. So that was the Netherlands. And now I want to go ahead and get into uh, these other two cases. And before I do, I just want to say, that this case is another one that's near and dear to my heart, and I know it holds a special place in Tracy's heart also, as we both come to know and love the Ballards. Sherry is an amazing woman. She's so incredibly strong, and I think I can speak for us all when I say that she's an angel. She's still out there standing tall and fighting for justice for her daughter and her late husband, Tommy Ballard. Crystal disappeared on July 3rd, 2015. Um, Crystal is caught on surveillance cameras that day going through the checkout at Walmart. She's last seen by the father of her child and live-in boyfriend, Brooks Houck, who claims that she stayed up all night playing video games and was just gone the next morning when he woke up. Uh, their son, of course, was still at home. And earlier that day, Crystal, Brooks, and their son visited Brooks's mother's farm. Brooks says that they went for a walk to feed the cows, but later says that he had to leave to get some food for them. His truck is seen driving to the end of the road, stopping and turning around and going back. So he never actually left to get food. And another interesting fact about that night is that it was raining cats and dogs. So it doesn't make sense that Crystal would have gone for a walk with him to feed the cows. On July 4th at 3.30 a.m., her car is spotted on the Bluegrass Parkway. Between the hours of 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., Nick's truck, Brooke's truck, and their grandmother's white Buick are caught on surveillance cameras driving to and from the farm and into town. Uh, July 5th, 2015, Sherry makes a missing, re missing persons report for Crystal. And she runs into Brooks on her way to the police station, who says that he and Crystal were not fighting that day, but that Crystal was upset because she felt that he showed favor and treated the other kids differently. At 5 o'clock p.m. on July 5th, Tommy, which is Crystal's dad, and Casey, Crystal's brother, find her car just past the 14-mile marker on Bluegrass Parkway. On July 7th, Brooks voluntarily takes a lie detector test, and then on July 8th, he's interviewed by law enforcement. And that's when Nick calls in the middle of that interview and tells him to leave because the investigators are trying to fuck him. 
on that same day, Nick's police cruiser is seen going to the farm and, and they have evidence that he was actually meeting up with Brooks on that day as well. Well, I, I just want to say about the Crystal Rogers thing, that there's an interesting connection between the Crystal Rogers disappearance and the killing of the uh, canine officer and, and drug task force officer um, Ellis in that uh, Crystal Rogers was dating a Brooks Halk and Brooks Brooks Halk was named by Sheriff Ed Mattingly a suspect in her uh, homicide and Halk's brother was a member of the Bardstown Police Force until he was fired for interfering in the investigation um and again you, like I, I like i said whomever killed ellis knew what his path would be how he went home where he would exit maybe was even maybe even was monitoring police radio traffic on the night in question and that dude could have been Nick Halk, which, 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 which I know that that really makes the Halk brothers mad because I read a quote uh, from Brooks uh, where I believe he might have told uh, the police that my whole family's name is trashed for something not even tied to me, you know. So we're sorry to trash. The, we don't want to trash the Halk name or anything, but it just... You know, when you're a, when you're an officer in the police force and they're investigating your brother for a homicide, it's probably inappropriate if you want to remain an officer. It's probably inappropriate for him to contact you and tell you a and tip you off that you're going to be questioned and tell you to keep your mouth shut. His theory was that Brooks had confronted Crystal about her having an affair on the night of July the third while they were at the family farm. And they believe that Hauk overreacted and killed her and then called his brother to help dispose of the body. And uh, they laid that out to Nick Hauk in an interview that they conducted of him on July 15th, um, which was 10 days after the crystal had been reported missing by, by her family. So I just wanted to, I wanted to throw that in too. Uh, uh, I know that the detectives, the Kentucky State Police detectives, Vaughn and Johnson, uh, told Nick during that interview that they did not believe the claim of coincidence and amnesia surrounding the days immediately following the report of Rogers' going missing. I've been very involved in the case and have several people that have um, come to me with information. And there was... Crystal was leaving Brooks and she was, it was suggested to her that she needed to go make copies of some of the files proving how much money Brooks made so that when she asked for child support and he claimed he didn't have the money, she would have the backup with the, um, with the files she had copied. And this particular individual did not see that she had made the copies, but someone else, hearsay, I guess, she said someone else said she did see the copies made. The copies were never located. And um, on another note, I know 
that uh, prior to Tommy's death, there was a canine handler that had uh, tried to get him to go back to Q also, and he had um, and never had done that. However, after Tommy's death, uh, Sherry was more open to that idea. There are things that we know about that. Um, for instance, Brooks Hauk claimed that he had gotten his start basically from his grandfather passing away and that he had received an inheritance. And I believe it was actually Tommy who discovered that this was not true. Well, before Tommy was murdered, Brooks's grandfather had actually cut him out of the will. So Brooks reportedly, and I can't say 100% this is true, but from what I've been told, Brooks did not receive a penny from his grandfather. So the question remains. Can, can I say something funny about that? Can, can, I've got to say something. From You know, I was a criminal defense attorney for many years prior to not being one. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I had a client one time whom uh, had an inexplicable amount of wealth. And generally when the DEA saw a guy that didn't have a variety of degrees out there with an inexplicable amount of wealth, an inexplicable amount of possessions, houses, cars, Rolex watches, they believed that they were involved in drug trafficking, obviously. And, of course, they would come in and oftentimes charge them with money laundering and drug trafficking. And they would want to, and they would seize funds, right? And they would want to... Um, uh, hold these funds and, and, and forfeit them to the government as being the proceeds of an illegally conducted enterprise. And so I, I remember one time that my client claimed, I was a young lawyer at the time, but my client, they had seized some $200,000 out of his house. And my client uh, said, man, you got to get that back. You know, I didn't, that, that, that's not drug uh, money. You know, I'm not a drug dealer. They, they never tell you, y'all, in case you're wondering, they never come in and go, hey, I am a drug dealer. But, you know, I'm not a drug dealer. That money, I got that money. I inherited that from my grandmother. So, so when I called the DEA agent, now I'm a young lawyer, right? So I, I believe everything at the time when I'm telling, you know, at the time that this event occurred. So I, I'm going to buy anything. Oh, you know, grandmother left him $200,000 cash in a coffee can in the backyard, of course. You know, I, I, buy, it, I buy it completely, right? So I, I called this detective up, this DEA agent. And I said, look, that, that money is not the result of conduction of drug enterprise. He said, let me guess. He said, a grandparent left it to him. And I was like, how do you, I was like, well, how do you know? How'd you know? Well, you know, I came to learn later as I got more advanced and, and, and more experienced, I, I came to learn that, that that's what they always claim. So when you come in here and say Brooks has got this money that he claims he got from his grandparent, Hell, that's that's what they all claim. <laughs> they all they all got it from this grandparent. You know, they all get it from the grandparent. And you know, I think it's important to mention that this town where all these murders have occurred, Bardstown, Kentucky, has less than twelve thousand people in it. It's such a small town, and to have that many unsolved murders in such a small town, I think it says a whole lot. Well, when let me say this too. They call this area of Kentucky the Bourbon Trail, okay? And a lot of bourbon produced there 
famous distillers of bourbon. And the thing that you need to understand is about bourbon distillers is that these guys were all crooks. And what's happened here, now liquor is, you know, you still can't make it and sell it, uh, you know, without it being registered and taxed. But, I mean, that's not really, they don't they don't really have a, the Volstead Act anymore. They're not out there busting up liquor outfits. But a lot of these same people that used to be moonshiners have become meth cooks. And so I would think I would think that this would be a an area just rife with the production of methamphetamine. I would think that there would be a lot of money from that, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if the brothers Hauk weren't involved in something of the nature. And the fact that he was a member of the police department doesn't does mean squat, because there's a lot of people in the police department, small towns like that, that are involved in such uh, enterprise, uh, and that and and feel insulated from discovery because of the fact that their brother is in the police department. It's really disheartening. And um, as a private investigator, I hate to say it, but, you know, half, half, if not more of the cases that I've worked, you know, I came in green and just really excited to solve crimes and help, you know, and, and, uh, and my mentor would say to me, you know, Heather, be careful who you trust. Just because they have a badge doesn't mean you can trust them. And, you know, I kind of dismissed what she said. I always, you know, every case that I worked, I'm getting in touch with the lead detective ahead of time, and I'm sharing everything that I'm getting with them. And I can't tell you how many times that I've walked away saying, oh my God, you know, like either, either this person is incredibly incompetent, doesn't give a fuck, or is crooked as hell. I don't know which one it is, but there's something terribly wrong here. These small Kentucky towns, guys, I, I don't know if y'all ever heard of Timothy Nolan. Well, Timothy Nolan's a 71-year-old former Campbell County District Judge who pled guilty to human trafficking and other felony sex crimes involving minors, who was a conservative political activist, worked on the President Trump campaign in Kentucky during the 2016 presidential race, and has and has been sentenced to a pretty lengthy, I think it was twenty years in prison. Okay, and if I think if you look at Campbell County, Kentucky, that's not going to be too far from where you're talking about here, people. Uh, I I mean, this is this you know to think there just because somebody happens to be a judge or happens to be a police officer in any town, really. I mean, Heather, you and I have talked about it, in any town. That doesn't mean a damn thing, but in small Kentucky towns, it means even less. I'm not pointing the finger and saying all law enforcement is bad. My brother is a highway patrolman. My grandfather was a sheriff's deputy and before that a police officer. So, um, you know, I'm not saying they're all bad because I like to think my family were, you know, good cops. But I just, I'm just saying that I don't, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's higher than I'd like to think. Well, Bardstown is right outside of Louisville, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right. Well, Camel County, you're talking about 100 miles, you know. Uh, is Camel County is about 100 miles away, which up in that part of Kentucky is, is a hop, skip, and a jump. So I want to I wanna bring up something that happened um, in, the, in the Crystal Rogers case after Crystal went missing. The, the Houck family just really seemed to have it out for the Ballards, and, and I'm sure the feeling was mutual. But um, Crystal's sister, Brooke, and this is before Tommy was killed, C 
Crystal's sister, Brooke, was driving to school and she lives, I guess I haven't, I haven't actually been there, so I don't know exactly what the distances or, you know, uh, correspondences are with the Hauk farm, but whatever it is, um, she ended up crossing paths with Brooks and Nick's mom and dad. And she's at a stop and they rear-ended her, like on purpose. Brooks's father gets out and starts screaming and yelling at Crystal's sister, who, you know, ironically is named Brooke. So we got Brooks and Brooke. But um, she's sitting there at the stop sign and they rear end her and he gets out and starts screaming and yelling at her that if her daddy has something to say, he can fucking come say it himself. He knows where to find him. And it's, you know, from what I understand, you know, the police come out and they take the report and the Ballards go there, of course, to support their daughter and, and whatnot. And the Ballards are told to leave. They are made to leave. And she got the ticket. And something else I want to throw up about Nick Houck is that Nick was administered a polygraph test uh, where he couldn't pass any of the questions that regarded Crystal Rogers. And his quote was interesting. I don't give a goddamn what your fucking computer said, he says. I'm telling you that I've been 100% honest with you. Um, kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of a, a bit defensive. Now, I'm going to say this too. There are people that can... The reason why they're inadmissible, a lot of detector test result is inadmissible because a sociopath can beat it. One, uh, and there are people that are overly analytical that can fail it. Uh, very intelligent people, for instance, that overanalyze the question can fail it, even though they're telling the truth about what they've been asked. They they can test deceptive, you know. So uh, they're they're not fail safe, but against you know, I mean they. It's just interesting to me, not so much that he failed the test, but the fact that his response included the vitriolic cursing that is, you know, I'm telling you, I'm being 100% honest with you. People who generally tend to quantify their, you know, I'm 100% honest with you, I'm, I'm telling you the 100% the fact, are oftentimes, Tracy, you want you chime in on this oftentimes they're being exceedingly deceptive oh a lot of them we also know that um you know the farm was searched at some point they did get a search warrant and went out there and searched the farm but within a day or two before that um there were vehicles seen leaving the farm and they were packing up these vehicles with big Tupperware boxes. Aside from that, we know that Brooks was seen because at the time, I, I believe somebody was uh, doing surveillance on him. And that before that, Brooks was seen meeting with a city cop. There is an advantage to having a fairly good size farming operation if you're wanting to produce methamphetamines or crystal meth, you want to produce crystal meth and, and sell it, is because you can buy anhydrous ammonia in bulk without it triggering 
a question as to why you're buying anhydrous ammonia in bulk. They really don't farm the farm it. I mean, they have some guys that roll up hay for a few cows that they have on there, but I don't know what agriculturally they actually produce that is they get paid for. Yeah. But it but it gives you an it, it gives you an out, Tracy. If people want to know why you're buying large supplies of anhydrous ammonia, you can say, Well, I've got a farm. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to ask any more questions. Brooks has a lot of rental property. And so we know that at some point, a box of ammo was found in a crawl space in one of his rental properties. And I've got these pictures here. And I've, so I've seen them for myself. There's a bag with a special bullet in it. And you can see, as plain as day, the name Nick Houck, and then a number uh, says SU number sign three something something something. But you can see Nick Houck's name. So this discovery was before they raided Nick Houck's grandmother's house in July of 2017. Uh, I think this is all very suspicious. And and on November 19th, 2016, Crystal Rogers' father, Tommy Ballard. Uh, who was very dedicated to finding his daughter and basically spent every single day working on that Um, and was very close, as some people say, that he was very close to exposing the people that had killed his daughter. And on November 19th, he went turkey hunting with his son, his son's son, and Crystal Rogers' son. So Casey's son and Casey were up on another part of the property and Crystal Rogers' son was down on the lower part of the property with Tommy. And the way it's been reported is that Tommy got out of the truck and it was still dark outside and they started to walk and then he turned around and he held his hand up to tell uh, his grandson to stop. And, And he said, stop right there. And he lifts his rifle up to his eye to look through the scope and as soon as he does he's shot and he says they shot me in the back and then that's the last words that he says and then he falls face down and he dies he wasn't shot in the back he was actually shot through his chest through uh, basically where his heart is it went through and came out on the other side and lodged in his uh, hunting vest. But he hadn't felt it go in. He only felt it come out. So they've, they've done some in this show that we mentioned. They reenacted that and they actually found a place where they believe that there was kickback from the gun that had hit a tree and whoever whoever shot him shot him from the Bluegrass Parkway, which is also, if you remember, where Jason Ellis was killed. And not the exact spot, of course, but yeah. And let me say for people that are unfamiliar with Kentucky, Kentucky has six regions. One of them is a Bluegrass region. One's called uh, uh, the Penny Royal region, even though they call that Penny Ryle. The Eastern Coal Fields, the Jackson Purchase, and each one of these regions have parkways that service that region of Kentucky. And and so 
the Bluegrass Parkway is a is a parkway that is servicing the Bluegrass region of Kentucky, which includes this area we're all talking about. But it is the same parkway. I mean, that, and, and if you live in the Bluegrass region of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, you're going to drive the Bluegrass Parkway with some regularity. I live in the Penny Royal region of Kentucky, and I drive the Penny Ryle Park. They call it Penny Ryle. I drive the Penny Ryle Parkway all the time. So The, the funny thing, and it's not ha-ha funny, but just what the fuck funny, is that they still have this listed, as far as I know, uh, down there, the sheriff's department in Bardstown as an accidental killing. And they believe that, or they're saying that it was a hunting accident. Huh. They have also on that, um, now, a lot of things on the Oxygen show were actually um, found out ahead of time. However, this show brought them to life and, um, and to light. But it, it was definitely... Not, could not have been a hunting accident. Let me ask you this question too, and I may have zoned out when you were discussing this, but what were they hunting? What was the turkey? Game? They were turkey, turkey hunting. It was turkey hunting. Yeah, it was right before Thanksgiving. My experience of turkey hunting, and I'm very familiar with it. I've never been personally. I was a quail hunter myself, but um, my experience with turkey hunting is that that's done in a stationary seated position, kind of luring the turkey to you. That your you, turkeys have very keen senses, and you're not going to walk up on a on a wild turkey. You have to you have to remain hidden and hope they walk up on you. So I would I don't know how in the world a sh- shooting someone in the back with a shotgun. He was shot. He was shot on in the a front. Turkey hunt, and it oh, just in the front. It came, came out, out the back. Okay, I don't know how right. you shoot someone, a human being, in a turkey hunt. You know, it's not like, you know, people have been shot in quail hunting because in quail hunting, you're walking down a fence row. Sometimes you lose the guy that's, 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 uh, like that's, that's stomping the game out to you. You lose that guy. You don't know where he is. You're shooting low anyway, because the turkey, I mean, the quails flying down the fence row. So people have been shot before by accident in quail hunting as Dick Cheney, but I don't know that, uh, uh, I, I've, I've never heard before of someone being accidentally shot in a turkey hunt. That may be my own, you know, it may be that I just am not around enough turkey hunters to have heard of it. I've heard of people getting accidentally shot in deer hunts. I've heard of people getting accidentally shot bird hunting, dove hunting. Sometimes you shoot at a low bird. Of course, that's one of the cardinal rules of dove hunting is you don't shoot at a low bird. At quail hunt, you're only shooting at low birds. That's why you have to walk shoulder to shoulder and be at the same approximate you know, you got to be shoulder to shoulder in a bird field, including the guy that's running the birds out. So, but the turkey hunting, I don't know that I've ever heard of that, of someone being shot by accident in a turkey hunt. And I think that plays into the analysis. Whoever shot Tommy knew that they would be there, which isn't really uh, all that absurd because they went turkey hunting there every year right before um, Thanksgiving on that weekend. So anybody who had known the family for any amount of time would have known that. Well, and and that's a common theme in these murders is that it appears to me that whomever is perpetrating these offenses seems to have some level of intimacy with the victims, some level of knowledge about the victims, 
and about their whereabouts and about where they go. It, it seems to me that that's been a pervasive theme that has run linearly through all three of these events that we've discussed today, is that whomever it is is familiar with these people and where they're going and where they're going to be. Exactly. And it's like we said earlier, it seems like there's a common thread. Um, I think that the, you know, gang, you know, gun and drug running, all of that is in the background of all of this. However, I do think that it's very possible that the Netherlands could have been a gang initiation as opposed to uh, a hit, you know, a, a established professional, I don't know if professional is the right word, but, um, you know, a gang that's been around for a while. Um, I could see a gang like perhaps the money gang or, you know, a smaller one that they're trying. And, and I know that Tracy, you were saying and they were just a bunch of punks and they were just trying to be big and badass. But sometimes those are the most dangerous ones because they've got a point to prove. You know, they've, they've got to put themselves on the map. And, you know, a wannabe is just as dangerous as the real deal if you put a gun in their hand and, again, they want to prove a point. So I think that it's possible that it could have been the money gang or, or you know, something just less organized with the Netherlands. But with Jason Ellis and Crystal Rogers and Tommy, that's a whole other animal, and I do feel strongly that the Hawks are at the center of it all. Well, there's been some uh, occurrences that have happened since all of these uh, killings, and one was um, Brooks Hawk has a new girlfriend. He has asked her to marry him. They are engaged, and her she's a blonde, and her name is Crystal, and um, Crystal's youngest child has been growing up calling her mommy or mama has been Crystal Rogers's and... child. Crystal Rogers's child right. is sorry, calling yes. the new Crystal mommy. Yes. Yes. And so that was kind of a, a little weird. All I can say to this new Crystal is run girl. The new Crystal was caught tearing the signs out of people's yards that said standing with the Ballards and where is Crystal Rogers. She was caught tearing those out of the yards and shredding them and throwing them in the street. And she was arrested for that. With this case, we could do five, six, seven, eight hours of things that have happened. I hope we get somewhere with this particular case. And I hope we help this family find some justice here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are very happy you could join us today for what's called the Bourbon Trail Murders. Join us next week as we break down another case with our crack team here at HMC Investigations. For Heather Cohen, I'm Fletcher Long and Tracy Ellis. Until next week, keep it between the ditches. Mm -hmm.